Now, we launched this back in August of 2017. It is uh, something we come back and revisit two to three times a year. It's to give us a guide on what we should be doing as a church, what we should be aiming for, not just as a church but also as individuals, and how we live out and respond to the great commandments that we're given in the Scriptures and loving God and loving people. And so the heartbeat is laid out like this. It begins by meeting Jesus. So we meet Jesus, and then after meeting Jesus, we mature in our relationship with God. We be on mission for the kingdom of God, and we multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of us are to be a part of this, and all of us are in some way a part of this heartbeat right now. Some of us may be here this morning, and one of the things we need to begin with is to meet Jesus. Uh, we have this reminder back on our bulletin boards in the back of the worship hall where we have activities and ministries that come up every now and then that go on to those boards that fulfill that heartbeat. And the reason we call it a heartbeat because we are a living body. We are people gathering together to create the church, which is the body of Christ, and so we all have to have a healthy heart, and so this is our heartbeat. And like I said, we're all on this journey somewhere in life. You may be here today, and where you are is you need to meet Jesus, and I'm going to look forward to introducing you to him uh, before we close out this morning. But perhaps you're here. You've already made a confession of faith. You already believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and he rose again, that he might forgive you for your sins and give you eternal life. And where you are on this journey is you need to begin maturing in that relationship with God. And, and coming to church is one way we do that. But this is what the Bible refers to as discipleship. You know, in, in the Bible, disciples were what became known as Christians. And they became known as Christians because they were following and acting like Jesus so much that it was almost poking fun of them in the book of Acts, saying, oh, they're like little Christ. And so when we say that we're a believer... We're saying that we're a Christian, and therefore, if we're a Christian, that means we're a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're following his, his teachings. We're following his example. And then the Bible tells us that God's desire isn't just for us to gain more knowledge or gain more understanding about the Bible, though that is a good thing, but God's desire is to use us for his glory, that we would continue the ministry and mission of Jesus Christ. And so as a church body, the Bible says we are the body of Christ. And what that means is when we gather together, when believers gather, we form the church. And we are the physical representation of Jesus Christ to this world. And as Christians, we are the representation of Christ when we leave this place and we're no longer gathered as a body, which means we're called to represent Jesus in everything that we say and do. And so all of this is for the purpose of multiplication. It's the purpose that more people would get to meet Jesus, they would get saved, they would be forgiven and be given eternal life. And we do this because we follow Jesus' commandment to us that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. That's Matthew chapter 28. And then in Acts chapter 1, Jesus commands us to go and to be his witnesses. And we do this because once we are a believer... God empowers us as his children with his Holy Spirit so that we can do these things, that we can go and make disciples, that we can go and be his witnesses, that we can testify about who Jesus Christ is. And sometimes we can think that this is the role that is on the pastor, or this is the role that is on the church leaders. And that is the case, but it's also the role, according to Scripture, upon all who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We are to continue the action of maturing in our relationship with God, to get on mission for the kingdom of God so we might multiply uh, for the, by the power of the Spirit. And God's Word says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. 
What that means is God has given us everything we need in order to live out the purpose and the mission that he has given to us. And this is our heartbeat. This is why we revisit every single year, uh, several times a year. So we can just remind ourselves, this is what I need to be about. Where am I at on this, on this heartbeat? Where am I at on this, uh, in this relationship? What am I doing to be on mission? Am I multiplying? Am I sharing about the gospel and about Jesus Christ and helping people to understand that and leading them to Christ? Because this is how we love God and love people, is that we share the love of God with them that is found in Jesus Christ. This morning, what I want us to do is to see how this played out in what would be considered a second century Christian or second generation Christian who was instructed by the Apostle Paul. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to be beginning in verse 14 here in a moment. And what we're going to see is that uh, as Paul is instructing Timothy, he is preparing for this time where Timothy is, at a, is a pastor at a church in Ephesus at this moment. And Paul is preparing Timothy to carry the baton as, as Paul feels his life is coming to a close. So he's preparing him to carry the message and the ministry of Christianity, which is what we're all called to do. We're all called to carry the message and ministry of Christianity into the world. Now in Acts chapter 16, this is where Paul first meets young Timothy. And though Paul and Timothy's encounter was something that God had ordained, Paul has this spiritual discernment when he comes across young Timothy that this boy needs to come along with him in the missionary or the mission field that Paul's going. So Paul eventually takes Timothy with him. They go on the mission field. They, they go and share the gospel. They go and plant some churches. And then Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus where he is in this particular moment. Matter of fact, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are both written to Timothy while he's pastoring this church, and Paul is giving him instructions on what to do as he pastors the church and he leads the flock there in Ephesus. So let's begin in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We are your people, and we are in need of your word, your truth. Father, we need your wisdom. I think you know every person in this room. There's nothing in our lives that is hidden from you. You know the things we're struggling with. You know the things we're praising you about. Father, you know the things that are consuming our minds may be causing us to worry. We come before you because you are the great physician. You are the great healer. You are the great and mighty God. And you know exactly what needs to be said to our hearts and our minds and our souls in this moment. Father, we, we desire to glorify you. As individuals, as a church, we want to bring you glory. We want to shout your praises into this community and into this world to be the light and salt that you command us to be. And so, Lord, I ask you to just give us hearts that are ready to accept your truth, 
that we take an honest look at our life and see where we are, if we're, in fact, doing what you've commissioned and commanded us and empowered us to do. Father, we just ask that your kingdom and will be done in each and every life that is in this place. Forgive us if we failed you in any way, and we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So there's a lot in these passages that is concerning Timothy's maturing in his relationship with God. But before Timothy can mature in a relationship with God, before you can mature in a relationship with God, it begins, you first have to meet Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul led a lot of people to Jesus Christ, but he was not the individual who introduced Jesus to Timothy or Timothy to Jesus. In Acts chapter 16, when Paul comes upon Timothy, he's told that he is the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. And through some of Paul's other letters, we know her name to be Eunice. But Timothy's mother wasn't the only individual who was a believer. We're also told that his grandmother, Lois, was a believer. You see, Timothy didn't meet Jesus in a church setting like we have right now. We have to keep in mind the church in this day and age when Paul comes across Timothy is just beginning. Timothy met Jesus through his family. He met Jesus in his home. Now, we don't know how Timothy's grandmother and mother came to Christ. Perhaps they were in Jerusalem when Peter delivered the first evangelical message at Pentecost, and they accepted that, and they took that home with them. But Paul writes in verse 15 that that Timothy has known from childhood the sacred writings, and that word sacred writings means scriptures. The language is to say that Timothy has heard of Jesus since he was a child, and through this, his Christian parent and grandparent. Timothy therefore met Jesus. And a lot of times I think we we think about church, and the church is the place where you present Jesus Christ. The church is the place where you hear the gospel message, and the church is one of the means that God uses. You will hear the gospel presented every time you're here and I am preaching. That is a promise I will give you. We will always have an opportunity for people to come to salvation. But this is not the only means that God uses. We see in the book of Acts that Peter preached and the apostles preached and the work of the church began and people were given the opportunity to meet Jesus and that was one of the means, but then it began to transform because one of the most powerful means that God wants to use for our children to meet Jesus is this. It's through our parents and grandparents. Parents and grandparents, God has stewarded you with children and grandchildren so that you would be the means that they would come and meet Jesus throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here's what God does. He commands one generation to speak to another generation and to share to that next generation about the things concerning God. And so it's a huge calling for us as parents. This is what is known as home discipleship. Home discipleship is a huge principle of God when it comes to developing and building and maintaining a relationship with Him. So as God's people, as God's parents and grandparents... You are to be stewards of the children in your life. We are to be the example to our children on how to live for God, how to be in love with Jesus, how to be empowered and used by the Holy Spirit. We as parents are the prime example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ in our children's eyes. We're always in front of them. We, the parents, have have been entrusted by God, commissioned by God, empowered by the Spirit to instruct our children in the ways they should go. It's not on the pastor. I don't see your kids as much as I see my kids. So I'll steward my children. Now I will help you. I will come alongside of you. I will feed you the word of God. But what I have experienced in my time in ministry, 
over the last 20 years, when it comes to kids and students, the conversation began in the home. They may have came to church, they may have gone to camp, they may have heard the Word of God, and they, they go home and they ask their parents questions. They begin opening doors they've never gone through. And what I've seen over and over again is not when they come to church. They usually come to church, and then the parent comes to me and says, Hey, Pastor Mike, can you talk to my kid? I get to share about one of those things happening this morning. But it happens in the home, parents. God has entrusted you with the next generation. He's even entrusted you with your friends or your kids' friends as they come into your house for you to be an example to them about who Jesus Christ is. Now, with this said, we know there are homes in which Jesus is not proclaimed. There are children that we have that come to this church, whether it's on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or down at the park, who do not have Jesus talked about in their household. They don't get that opportunity to meet Jesus through their parents And so this is where we gather together as the church. We come alongside and we evangelize. This is where we, the people of God, are to be the means for those without godly parents and godly influences to come alongside and to love on them in the name of Jesus Christ. Here at Harvest Hill, we have great ministries. We have great staff. We have great volunteers. God has blessed us with an incredible facility. He's given us a great amount of money in in our budgets. But if any of that is done without the purpose of giving people the opportunity to meet Jesus, then we've wasted our time. We've wasted all of our efforts, and we've wasted all the resources that God has given us. Hear this. Our main goal at Harvest Hill is for people to meet Jesus. Because without Jesus Christ, that means they're dead in their sins and they're heading for hell. That is our main goal. And we will do whatever it takes for people to meet Jesus, but it all has to have that purpose or we're wasting people's time and we're wasting ours. But notice here, meeting Jesus isn't the end. Notice what Paul says there in verse 14. He says, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. Now leading up to these verses in this letter, Paul has warned Timothy that there are going to be people who are going to be lovers of self. Paul is telling Timothy, and he's telling us through the Holy Spirit, there are going to be people that are going to come into our life that are not going to adhere to the Word of God. They're not going to believe in God. They're not going to trust God's Word. They're not going to believe what we believe. There are going to be people in our life just like Timothy that will have want, want nothing to do with God. They want nothing to do with church. But instead, their hearts are going to be on themselves, and their hearts are going to be connected only to this world. In verse 13, it says that the Bible says that evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Again, we have to keep in mind, this is first century church. This is a second generational Christian who's being warned about these things. They're going to begin to creep up. Yet even in these times, what Paul has led to write to Timothy and what we have to take instruction is that we have to be aware of these times because we're going to encounter them. Here's the thing about Christianity. Christianity is not meant to be lived in a Christian bubble. This is not a country club. Church is not a country club. Small groups are not country clubs. We're not called to live in a Christian bubble. God has commissioned us and empowered us as his people, as Christians, to go out into the world and spread the gospel to people who are in opposition of the love of God. 
because we're called to represent Jesus Christ in this world, the only way we can do this is if we continue to mature in our relationship with God. I'm not saying God can't use a new Christian. I've seen people come to Christ, and they are some of the greatest evangelicals you will ever see because they're so excited about their faith and about their newfound love and forgiveness and eternal life. But as believers, we have to continue to mature so we can go out into the world because you are going to encounter tough conversations. You are going to encounter tough questions that you may not have the answer to. And here's what I want to tell you to do. If you are ever asked a question about your faith or about why you believe or about a certain passage of Scripture and you don't know the answer, here's what you do. You ready? Tell them, I don't know. But maybe we can find out together. And you've just created a Bible study. I've had numerous people in my time here at Harvest Hill who have asked me questions, and it's literally stumped the chump. Because I'll have to say, I'll have to look that up for you. I do not want to pretend I have the answer for you in this very moment, but I will find it. And then we get to have those conversations. But we have to be invested in our relationship with God. And that's what we talk about. We talk about when I'm a Christian, I get to be back in a relationship with God where sin once separated me from that. But if I'm in a relationship with God, guess what that means? I need to spend time with Him. I need to talk with Him. I need to hear from Him. Early in this letter, Paul is led to instruct Timothy to hold on to the pattern of sound words and teachings. He tells him in uh, First, uh, the chapter 1, verse 14, to guard the good deposit that is trusted to you. In chapter 2, Paul tells Timothy that you need to do your best to present yourself as one approved and to flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Guess what? Since it's in the Word of God, these instructions are given to us as well. Do your best. Guard the deposit that has been gifted to you. Flee from youthful passions. The call for Timothy and the call in our life is to continue to mature in our relationship with God. And the Bible tells us this is so important. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Pay much closer to what we have heard, lest we drift away. What's that mean? It means we need to pay close attention to what is in this word, lest we drift away from it. For years, Paul has been pouring his life into Timothy In this letter, in 2 Timothy, Paul has come to this understanding that his time on earth is drawing to a close. In verse 6 of chapter 4, Paul says that I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He's saying, look, I'm about ready to die, and I know it's coming, Timothy. So you've got to guard that deposit. You've got to do your best to continue to pursue after God. You've got to mature and continue to mature in your relationship with God. And how do we do this? Well, one, get in the Word of God. We also need to find individuals who have maybe been walking with God longer than we have. And they may be younger than us. And go alongside them as Paul went alongside Timothy and allow them to pour their life in this. And you can do that over coffee, or over a Coke, or maybe you're a Pepsi drinker, or Diet Coke, whatever. But just get with people. Talk about the things of God. Ask questions. Sharpen iron. It also means as God's people, we need to go along others who may have not been walking with God as long as we have, and we need to pour into their lives. Have Bible studies. And that doesn't mean when I say have Bible studies, I don't mean you got to have like 20 people together. Get together with one or two other people and just have this time of discipleship, of maturing. 
You know, I learn a lot from people when I begin asking questions about what they think about passages or what they think about certain individuals in Scripture, and you get a whole new perspective. Now, sometimes you're like, well, that's a little too far, but you get a new perspective, and you learn from one another. This is what t- Paul is telling Timothy, you've got to continue to mature, and the only way we can mature as God's people is to be in the Scriptures, to be in the Word of God. Now, four years ago, I, I finally finished seminary. Now, personally, this is my personal conviction. I have no scripture to back this up. Personally, I do not believe if you're being called into the ministry or if you're going to be working in the ministry and even in a volunteer that you need to go to seminary. I believe if God has called someone into the ministry to teach a Bible study, to start a Bible study, to preach, to go on the mission field, I believe if God has called that person That's the only qualification they need. Look at the disciples. None of them went to seminary. People, the Pharisees, the the trained, the elite, were so amazed at their knowledge. Say, aren't these guys Gentiles? Just a way to say, aren't they they backwoods? Uneducated? Yet they amazed people not by their power, not by their wisdom, not, not by their knowledge, but because they had been with Jesus. And they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and God used them in an incredible way. But I bring up seminary. So I, I, I was on the five-and-a-half-year program when I went to Southwest Baptist University. And I transferred in and changed majors when I was like a, a semester away from graduating. Always a good idea, by the way, to do it that way if you're going to college. Um, so five-and-a-half years. And so it took me about ten-plus years before I was ready to get back in the classroom. And I felt God led me to go to seminary. And I found seminary very beneficial It gave me new insights into Scripture. It gave me new ways and new tools in order to be a better pastor and a better preacher of the Word of God. At the same time, seminary really messed with my personal Bible study. And this is what happened is when you go to seminary, you begin reading books about the Bible. And you begin writing uh, essays and reports about the Bible, about people in the Bible. And so what happened to me personally, something in my mind switched And during that time, the Bible didn't become something in order to be with God and hear from God. It became an academic book where I wanted to figure everything out. I wanted to get to the root. I wanted to bring out the Greek and the Hebrew and like, wow, that's so awesome. But the thing is, I made it so academic that I actually wasn't allowing to be living and active in my life. I wasn't actually hearing it. I was just coming to understand it and to get more knowledge about it. And so I had to spend a lot of time just praying with God and talking with God. And, and this is what God brought me to. Because sometimes we can take the Bible and look at it like it's a textbook. Like we remember when we were in school, like, oh, wow. Well, you know. If you have that issue, then here's what I want you to I just want you to take one verse. Or just take one passage of Scripture. And just read it. This verse, just memorize it. Just meditate on it. What's that mean, meditate? I don't mean, ooh. Think on it. Ponder on it. Allow that verse to come alive by the power of the Spirit and the Word of God, because God says His Word is living and active. And yeah, it is good to get to know things that are deeper in Scripture, and we do that in Bible study at times. We do that here on Sunday mornings at times. But if we're not actually allowing our understanding of Scripture to become something we're applying, then we're really not living it. And we're really not maturing in it. 
We may have the head knowledge, but not the heart. And God's more concerned with your heart. So, take your time. But to be maturing in our relationship with God, we have to be personally invested into our relationship with God and into His Word. The Bible says that relationship is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And I think, why would I trust this Word so much? Why would I trust the Bible so much? Look in verse 16 and 17. It says, all Scripture, all of it, Genesis to Revelation, yes, even Leviticus, all Scripture is breathed out by God. What that means is all Scripture is the voice of God recorded for us. So when you say, well, I'm just not hearing from God, I just don't, I just don't know what God's trying to say, my first question for you is, how is your time in God's Word? All Scripture is breathed out by God. And get this, all Scripture is profitable for teaching. All Scripture is profitable for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. What righteousness means is us living a life that is right with God or aligned with God. So all Scripture gets to that point that the man of God and that, that is a, a gender-neutral word. It could be the individual of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. For every good work. And here's the thing that blows my mind. When Paul is writing this to Timothy, he didn't have what we had the New Testament today. All he and Timothy had when it comes to all Scripture was what we call the Old Testament. And so Paul is saying... That, Timothy, is what you need to cling to and mature in your relationship with God. But now, by the glory of God and the grace of God, we have the New Testament with recordings of, of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and recordings of, of Paul's uh, instructions to the church and to people. I did this, the longest chapter in the Bible. Does anybody know what the longest chapter in the Bible? I love, I love Bible trivia. Anybody know? Steve? Psalm 119, yes. All right, so Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible, and it's all about the importance of God's Word in the life of God's people. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist saw the Word of God as a means for him to have life and enjoy the life that God gave him. And if we even go back to that context, all they have at that moment is what we call the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And he's saying that word, God, gives me life. And he says to God, Psalm 119.25, give me life according to your word. Psalm 119.37, give me life in your ways. Psalm 119.40, in your righteousness, give me life. Psalm 119.50, your promises, give me life. Psalm 119, verse 54, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. Psalm 119.88, in your steadfast love, give me life. Psalm 119.93, I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me life. Psalm 119, 107. Give me life, O Lord, 
According to your word, Psalm 119, 149, according to your justice, give me life. 119, 154, give me life according to your promise. 119, uh, 156, give me life according to your rules. 119, 159, give me life according to your steadfast love. Do you understand what the psalmist is telling us? If we want life, where should we go? God, the creator of life. If we know how to live this life and enjoy this life, we go to God's word and we find life. This word is all about living life. And then we come to the New Testament of Jesus. It's the living word. And he says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. He tells us that I am the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus spoke concerning the word of God that I know his commandments are eternal life. See, when we get into the word of God, we find Jesus, the giver of life, the forgiver of life, and the giver of eternal life. And then we find the life that we all desire to live while we're still on this earth. Our maturing our relationship with God is to cling to his word. Not because it's optional, because now as God's people, we know it's a necessity. I cannot do anything without your presence. And your word in my life. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is the means God wants to use to make our life into the type of life he wants us to be living and he needs us to be. And the evidence that we have conviction concerning the word of God, here it is, it's not because you're here on a Sunday morning. Just because you're here on a Sunday morning doesn't mean you have a conviction towards the Word of God. Just because you're in a Bible study doesn't mean you have a conviction to the Word of God. Just because you may read a devotional doesn't mean you have a conviction for the Word of God. The way we know we have a conviction for the Word of God is because we're living it. We're living it. We may not always get it right. We're going to stumble and fall. We're going to get snared away into temptation at times. But because we know this is what gives us life, We'll come back to it. Here in 2 Timothy, Paul charges Timothy and us to continue in God's word for the fruit it will produce and the constant preparation in the word of God and what kind of life that would bring to Timothy. The word of God was to enable Timothy and it enables us to produce good work, verse 17. And this good work is so Timothy can continue to be on the mission for the kingdom of God. Look at me in chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For Timothy, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But they're going to have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. The word preach there, verse 2, means to audibly proclaim. It is to tell. 
And so a lot of times I know we talk about our jobs and we talk about our kids and we talk about sports, we talk about the weather, we talk about vacations, where we've been or where we're going. We even talk about relationships we're in, books we've read that we've enjoyed, food that is so delicious. We talk about all these things. You know what God tells us to talk about? The Word. Preach the Word. In other words, we're all called to be on mission for God. And as we mature in the Word of God, as we mature in our relationship with God, as we fill our hearts and our minds with Jesus, we are, 2 Corinthians 5.20, to be ambassadors for Christ since God is making His appeal through us. And He appeals through us through His Word, through His Spirit, and through the message of Jesus Christ. We appeal to the nations. We appeal to the people that God has brought into your life. No matter what age you are, no matter what gender you are, you are all called, if you're a child of God, to be on mission for the kingdom of God. And this is done inside and outside the church. I've heard numerous times, or I've said numerous times, if Harvest Hills were God called you to be, then God has called you to be a part of the ministry and mission of Harvest Hill. I've also said this does not mean you are to be a part of everything. But if this is where God has led you, then you're called to be part of something And the Bible says now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So we come to Christ, we accept Christ, God gives us His Spirit to empower us, and then gives us gifts so we can do the mission. And as Paul comes to this point where he knows his life is drawing to a close, he's saying, Timothy, you are a fellow believer. Continue the mission. Continue the work of Jesus Christ. Continue to preach. Continue to share. This is why you're saved, Timothy. And this is why we are saved as God's people, to be on mission for the kingdom of God. The sake of this mission is multiplication. Paul's charge to preach the words because Paul understood that sinful men and sinful people can un- only understand salvation if the word is preached to them. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 15 says, How can they call on him whom they have not believed in? And how are they to believe in him and who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Jump in verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes through the word of God. So what is this message? I want you to, if you haven't, I know we have note takers here, but if you're like, what is the message? What is the thing I need to get across? Write this passage down, Romans chapter 3, 22 through 26. Here's what it says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When God put forward as a propitiation, that's a fun word. It means a replacement, a substitute. He put Jesus forward as a substitute by His blood to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. This is the message we preach so multiplication can happen. All pointing back to Jesus Christ and the righteousness of God because God's desire is wishing that no one would perish 
that that all would reach repentance. And there's numerous ways you can be involved in this. One way I want you to start praying about is here in September, we're going to start Wednesday Night Live up again. And I want you to pray, God, how do you want me to be involved in that? Maybe I need to be involved because I need to come and begin maturing in my relationship with God. Maybe I need to come and be in the mission and be doing the ministry. I can come along Jason and Charlie and the other adults who are with the students and, and being here as an adult loving on students, sometimes just to make sure that they're staying focused on what is being taught to them. We have a lot of kids that come in that need a special friend. They need a little bit more attention than others. And maybe you're like, well, that doesn't seem like a big deal. It is a huge deal in that classroom when adults are trying to teach kids the Word of God and there's Kids just can't sit still, and they can't stay focused. But if they've got an adult friend who'd be willing to sit there with them, and just pour in their lives, just being a presence, that's huge. Being involved in the nursery, either on Wednesday nights or even on Sunday morning, is huge. Helping out in children's church is huge. And we all think, well, that's not, you know, that's not a big thing. That's a huge thing. It may not always be seen. It may not always be known but it's so important to families. Be in prayer. God, if this is where God wants you and this is where God has planted you, how does God want to use you here? Again, not everything, but something. And we work together as a body. There's one other way I want to bring up, and it's not necessarily physically, but financially that goes into multiplication. Many of you all know is that we have a loan on this building. And almost 12 years ago, believe it or not, 12 years ago, Harvest Hill will celebrate 12 years on August 9th. And almost 12 years ago, Second Baptist Church in Springfield gave this church body a $350,000 loan in order to purchase this facility and renovate it and, and get kind of situated here in Stratford. Now, over the course of time, we've gotten that loan to just over $40,000. And by the end of this month, because of faithful givers to that loan, we will be under $40,000. That is awesome. It's a huge praise. Now, here's why I bring this up, and this is why it goes into multiplication. Second Baptist has seen how diligent we've been the last couple of years, and they've decided that they're not going to charge us interest on the loan for the remaining of the year. That means every penny that is given goes straight to the principal. Every penny. And so I want you to pray about, okay, God, do you want me to be involved with this? How do you want me to be involved? And it may be $5 a month, maybe $10, $20, $100 a month. It may just be a set sum God puts on your heart and your mind to give. And the reason this is multiplication is because the Bible says we are to owe no one anything except love. As a church, we don't want to owe anyone anything except to love them. And if we get this thing paid off, it's going to open up over $14,000 in our church budget to do other ministries, to expand and do multiplication. But here also is what's happening. is Paul's telling Timothy, look, there's going to be a time I'm no longer going to be here, but you've got to continue on the work. You've got to continue to be uh, focused and doing the word and will of God. He was preparing Timothy for the impact he was going to have after he was gone. And this is what we do when we get this thing paid off is we set it up for the next generation. It's not anything they have to worry about. They don't have to worry about a church loan. We set it up for the next generation. So we're living beyond our own. Now, if you're here this morning and you're like, 
I knew a preacher would talk about money. Let me just read this passage for you. The point is this. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6-8. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And I bring that passage up because if you hear me talking about that building loan again, here we go, and you've got something going on in your heart that you don't want to listen to it, here's the thing. Here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Then don't give to it. I don't keep track of it. I'm not going to call you up, text you, email you, blast you on Facebook about not giving to something that God has not moved up in your heart to give. Did you hear what they said? God loves a cheerful giver. So if you hear this and like, oh, then don't do it. It's that simple. But if you wake up tomorrow morning and all you can think about is the building loan, then maybe you better start praying about, okay, God, what do you want me to give to it? Because if God moves on your heart and changes your heart that, okay, I want to be a part of that, then you have to be faithful in response. Paul is telling Timothy, the work must continue on. And through Timothy, Paul's ministry is going to live on, and the message of Jesus Christ is going to continue on. And this is what we're a part of here, just continuing the work, continuing the mission. But all of this, all this maturing and being on mission and multiplication here for Timothy began with the first step. Timothy had to meet Jesus. And that may be where you are here this morning. Is you need to meet Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the gospel message we preach. God created you for a relationship with him. He didn't create you for retirement. He didn't create you for your job. He didn't create you for a relationship with another individual. At first, God created you for a relationship with him. The issue is you have sin in your life, and that sin is separating you from that relationship. And sometimes we try to do good things, and, and you know, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to start giving money to the church or going to church more often. But the Bible reveals we can't fix our sin problem. And God knows that about us. That's why Jesus Christ came to live a perfect life, to die for the sins of the world and rise again to show that he has power over death and the ability to forgive sins past, present, and future for all time and to give eternal life. If you're here this morning and that's something you know you need to do, I'm going to be standing down here and I'm going to ask you to come down and you just have to say, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved, I need to be forgiven, and I believe Jesus Christ did that for me. I believe God loves me that much. But maybe you're here this morning and you realize, you know what? I've already met Jesus. I began maturing in my relationship with God, but I haven't really been plugged in on a mission somewhere here at Harvest Hill, and this is where I know God wants me to be. So maybe you need to come kneel before the Father and ask God to give you that understanding and that wisdom. We're going to pray together. I'm going to ask Nick to come up and lead us in a song of invitation, and I'm going to invite you to come. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Thank you for calling us more and just sitting in a chair at church. Lord, for some incredible reason, 
you want to use us for your glory. And you give us everything in order to do that. Father, someone here this morning needs to accept you as their Lord and Savior. I pray your spirit just speaks to their heart that they have that understanding and their eyes are opened. But Lord, we all, we want to be a healthy body, a healthy church. And so, Father, I pray that you speak to every individual who calls this church their church family to lead and direct them and guide them to where you want them to be involved in. I thank you so much, Lord, for what you're doing here. I thank you so much for the way you bless us. You continue to give us grace and mercy and forgiveness and the way you continue to use us in this community, in this county, in this state, and in the world. You're so good. Forgive us if we failed you in any way. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.